the way that parents can really recognize whether or not they're in this pattern of seeking reassurance is one, if you feel like the questions are repetitive. And if you as a parent start feeling annoyed, if you're like, I already answered that, or why do you keep asking that question? If you start to get that reaction to it, then you are probably in an anxious reassurance seeking pattern. Welcome to Flusterclucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Flusterclucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. Robin, today we're going to talk about reassurance and how it relates to worrying and anxiety. Because remember, anxiety wants certainty. Anxiety wants to know everything. Anxiety wants all the answers. And so this pattern of reassurance, which shows up oftentimes as kids just asking a whole lot of questions, is something that we want to pay attention to because getting information is different than this pattern of consistently seeking reassurance as it is demanded by our anxiety. Yeah. If you think about it, the reassurance pattern, we see it as parents when our kids ask a series of questions. But I think it's important for us as adults to think about when do we rush to Google to get information, to get certain information, to know something like that impulse of, I have to know this and I have to know this and I have to know this. This isn't just a kid pattern. No, it's not just a kid pattern. When I see this clinically as a problem, it's asking questions over and over and over again and feeling really uncomfortable if you don't get all the information you need. When we're talking about seeking reassurance in this anxiety way, it's the repetitiveness of the questions. And then there's this also this interesting thing where kids ask a question that you are sure they already know the answer to. That was my next question to you, because if a child says... Hey, mom, is it going to rain today when we go to the park? Mm -hmm. Maybe a child who doesn't have a lot of anxiety would say, Hey, mom, what's the weather going to be today for our day at the park? And you say, Oh, it's going to be 72 and really great. But that anxious kid is going to come back and say, Is it going to rain at all? Are you sure? Are there any chances of rain? What's the percentage in the app? It's that inability to hear information and feel certain enough. It's just all of that concrete, I have to know, I have to know, I have to know. Correct. And that's the way that it shows up. So a child will say, are you going to pick me up after school? And you say, yep, I'll be there at two. And then later, are you sure? If anxiety wore a t-shirt, one of the t-shirts would be, this is an emergency. And then the other t-shirt is, are you sure? And so parents will get frustrated and I will, I get this question a lot. What happens if I recognize that my kid is just asking questions that I've already answered or that they know the answer to? And that's where it becomes seeking reassurance because asking questions to get information is a very good thing to do, right? If you say, mom, what time are we leaving? Or what's the weather going to be like when we go to the park? Or do you know where my socks are? But when that question has this repetitive nature to it. You'll say, okay, so we're going to leave at one and then we'll probably get to the beach at two because it takes about an hour to get there. So, okay. And then a little while later, what time are we leaving? We're leaving at one. 
do you think we'll be able to get there in an hour? And then you say, well, you know, it depends on the traffic. Like, remember, I said about an hour. Okay, but how close to an hour do you think it's going to be? Do you know what the traffic is? And it's just this repetitiveness. And the way that parents can really recognize whether or not they're in this pattern of seeking reassurance is one, if you feel like the patterns of the questions are repetitive, as I just said. And if you as a parent start feeling annoyed, if you're like, I already answered that, or why do you keep asking that question? If you start to get that reaction to it, then you are probably in an anxious reassurance seeking pattern. Can I tell you, I actually experienced this in my job. I have clients as a travel advisor. I had one client who was booking flights and asking me about the potential of TSA security lines. He kept asking me about it. And I said, there's no guarantee. Conditions are dynamic. You'll probably be fine. And he kept like saying, but will it? So I finally said, what information are you seeking from me? Because it was that same impulse, just masked as an adult in like different language. It's a pattern that some of our listeners could recognize like, oh, I do that. Yeah, because he hated the word probably. Yes. You said you'll probably be okay. And so adults do it too. I mean, remember like a huge amount of what our kids learn about managing the world is from modeling. And so if you are raising your kids in an environment which the goal is certainty, which we have to know, if they see you doing it or if that just becomes the expectation, they're going to pick up on that. And remember that one of the biggest skills that we want to teach if we're being preventative and if we're pushing back against worries, demands, is the ability to tolerate not knowing the ability to tolerate uncertainty. So those repetitive questions become a desire to just get the information without the word probably, without the word maybe, without the word might. You know, I say it's really important for kids to learn how to roll around in the mights and maybes of life. The pattern is established when a child feels uncomfortable and needs to know and then continues to ask. And then the parent does their very best to try and provide more, more, more. So when we come back after this break, Lynn, I think it's time to bring back the story of the broken Harry Potter ride. Okay. You know, when you're listening to a song on the radio and you just have this feeling that the song was written about you or that it was someone that you love trying to say something to you. Well, now imagine the power to gift that same incredible feeling to someone you love with an original song that actually is about them and about your relationship and that Songfinch writes just for you. Songfinch lets you create an original radio quality song inspired by your own life and the people that you love. It's completely unique. It's personal and it lasts forever. I had the pleasure of creating a family song with Songfinch about our summer celebrations that we have every year. I knew it was going to make everybody cry, and it certainly did. I got to be honest, I was even crying, giving all of the information and helping personalize my song with the writer that I chose. He absolutely delivered a beautiful acoustic song that captured exactly what I was looking for, and it was so fun to share with the family. So whether you're song is for Father's Day, an upcoming graduation, a wedding or an anniversary, or even just a gift to show your loved one how much you care, start your song now to lock in one of Song Finch's top artists. 
Don't waste another dollar on more stuff. It only takes four to seven days, but that song will last forever. For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song to Spotify for free so you and the lucky person or people can listen to it anywhere, anytime. So go to songfinch.com slash fluster and start your song. After you purchase, you'll be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free, a $50 value. Again, the URL is songfinch.com slash Fluster. Don't forget to share your song with us too in our Facebook group, songfinch.com slash fluster. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. Okay, so now back to the show. I think I've talked about this before, but when I took my sons by myself to Universal after the Harry Potter park had opened up, and we're lying in bed and we're in the hotel, and it's probably like 930 or 10 at night, we had just gotten settled in, the local news comes on. And there's the woman reporter live from Universal Studios. We're here at the Harry Potter ride, which has broken down and they are currently extracting people from the ride. Back to you, Bob. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like inside, I'm like, oh, my God. And my little boy's ears perk up these four little ears attached to these two cute little heads. And they're like, Mom, do you think it's going to be okay?" And I was like, I don't know, guys. And it was just one question after the other of like, well, what if they don't fix it? And what happens? And then it became, if they don't fix it, are we going to be able to come back to Universal Studios another time? And I just kept saying, I don't know. I bet they're working on it really hard, but we won't know until tomorrow. The three of us are in this hotel room just marinating in uncertainty. And we just had to deal with it. We just had to deal with it. Right. I love that story because... You told me that story actually long before the podcast, right? Mm -hmm. And it's such a great 
lesson in the moment when your kids are desperate for certainty from you. And the best thing to do is not give it to them. Because especially when you can't. When you can't. Exactly. Don't fake a certainty you don't have. Right. So those questions are, I'm sure everything will be fine. Or I absolutely know that they're going to fix the ride. Or you saying to your nervous traveler client, like, no, you will absolutely make your connection. The TSA lines will be fine. That's what we want to do. That's our impulse. But you're really not giving you and your family the opportunity to recognize that things are uncertain and that we'll manage and then we'll figure it out. I had no idea whether or not they were going to fix that GD Harry Potter ride. Thank God they did. But I had no idea. I had no idea. Right. I was thinking in my head like, okay, so they are more motivated to fix this ride than I am. I'm sure. Right. So they're working on it. But I didn't know. It's not like we want to withhold information from our kids, right? If you, I say this joke a lot when I'm teaching, if you've got a kindergartner and you're dropping them off for their first day of kindergarten, they say, mommy, are you going to pick me up after school? Or daddy, are you going to pick me up after school? We don't go, well, life is uncertain. Let's see what happens, right? <laughs> right. If we, we know the information. We give the information that when we know it. But the reassurance seeking shows up, particularly in situations where there isn't certainty and there is just almost a compulsion to get the certainty that they're looking for. When you say that, it makes me think of in other episodes when we've talked about autonomy and we've talked about every family getting young children out the door for school in the morning. We end up doing more for the kids that they could do on their own because we can do it better and faster, you know, when we're under stress. So it's a shortcut that we take. All of us have taken it. Some of us take it all the time, others sometimes. So in this way too, it could start out where you think it's sort of like a shortcut to placate that comes back to bite you, right? Right. And so a lot of the things that we do for our kids... We're taking the shortcuts, right? That's why we lie to them. That's why we just, <laughs> right? it's, we're just, right? we're just trying to get through the day. So for sure. But what's interesting and what comes up when parents ask me this question, when they bring it up, is that they begin to recognize that giving the information is not working and they begin to see it. I just mentioned the word compulsive because this does have an OCD component to it. So not every kid that does this compulsing seeking of reassurance has OCD, but it is a common pattern that we see in OCD where a child has to ask a question repeatedly. It's the same thing that I talk about when a child has to confess things. So they say, I might have done this. I might have done this. If they're asking this question repeatedly, it becomes an OCD pattern. And I'm happy to break it down for you if you want me to. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I will. So remember that the thought comes up. This is the way OCD works. The thought comes up. It's a disturbing thought. It's a bothersome thought at the very least. It feels uncomfortable. And so then you want to do something. That's the compulsion. You want to do something to make yourself feel better. And remember, OCD is the ultimate doubt factory. So if you have a thought that pops up that sort of says like, I don't know if mom's going to pick me up or I don't have this information or if it's just sort of a general uncertainty, like what's going to happen? I have to know. The compulsion is then to ask the question. So then they say, mom, are you picking me up at 12? 
and you say, yes. And then the thought comes back up. What if she doesn't pick you up at 12? Or are you sure she's going to pick you up at 12? And so then you say, mom, you're picking me up at 12, right? Yes, I told you I'm picking you up at 12. Okay. So they get a little bit of relief and then up pops the question again. Are you sure that she said yes? Are you sure that she's going to be there? You better ask the question again. And that's how OCD works, right? It's constantly trying to satisfy that need for certainty. And it just constantly pops up and says, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? What is the parent supposed to say in that regard? Because that's a pretty common pattern. Correct. If you recognize that this is a sort of becoming kind of a compulsive thing, if you're feeling annoyed by it, if you're saying like, gosh, I just answered that question. One of the things that parents will do, unknowingly, of course, is they'll just keep answering the question for a while, or they'll start saying, now, you know, I just answered that question, or I think you already know the answer to that question. That in itself becomes kind of a part of the pattern. So the kid asks the question and is waiting for some response for the parent that alleviates a little bit of the doubt. You get into the content of it, right? You know the answer. I just told you I'm going to pick you up at 12, or I just told you. What the parent wants to do is always, I mean, this is such an important skill that I know I have to say and repeat a lot. Point out the pattern. Point out the pattern. This is a process problem, not a content problem. So, for example, the child might say something like, are you sure that the cat was in when we left? And you say, yep, we put him in. I made sure I put him in the house. Okay. So then a little while later, you did put the cat in the house, right? Yep. I remember put the cat in the house. And then a little while later, mom, do you remember putting the cat in the house? And then you get frustrated and you say, look, I've told you three times that we put the cat in the house. So rather than going over that content over and over again, if you know that this is a pattern, if you know this is a problem, you get the question, maybe you get it a second time. And then it is really helpful to say, you have a pattern, right? We've noticed this pattern is that your worry wants to know for sure, which means that you have a pattern of asking me questions either that I've already answered and or that you know the answer to. So it's not that you're looking for new information. You're looking for certainty. This is the pattern. And when you do that to me, I'm going to point out to you, this is the pattern and I'm not going to engage in this pattern with your worry. Let me ask you this question, because as you're saying this, this is what I'm thinking, and I think maybe some other listeners are wondering about it too. So you say, yes, we put the cat back in the house. And then this child who has more of an compulsive pattern, it's almost as if the disorder is preventing them from accepting certainty. Correct. So that's kind of more the issue. Whereas if you had a child who might be more... There's not really a compulsion, but more of like a generalized anxiety child. That child might say, okay, you put the cat back. Did you leave food? Did you like the content jumps from one thing to another, to another, to another? And so there's always like, it's a content conveyor belt of new things to worry about. And the compulsive pattern is to just keep going down that path. Correct. Yep. And so what you'll see, that's a good differentiation to make, is what you'll see is that if there's an OCD thing, it might be the question is the same. And the answer comes and they'll say, because a parent will say, he asked me the same question 25 times and I gave him the same answer 25 times. If you have somebody who's a more generalized worrier, they're just swimming around in the soup of uncertainty and they're going to ask questions 
okay, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you put the cat? We're going on a trip, for example, right? So you may be leaving your house to go on a trip. Did you put the cat in? Did you leave food? Did you check the water? Did you blah, 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 blah? And that is the content hopping. You're exactly correct. And the response is similar, is that you want to say, I can tell right now that your worry is really bossing you around. I can hear that your worry is really bossing you around. And you can answer the question once. You can say, we left for our trip. We did the things that we needed to do that we do when we leave the house for a trip. And now I am not going to participate with your worry anymore. Now, that does not feel good at all to somebody who's worrying. Because remember, the worry is seeking certainty. And so parents will say, but if I don't answer the question, they get really mad. Yeah, they do. I had a parent say, well, if I don't answer the question, then she has a temper tantrum. Yeah, she does. Because her need for certainty, her desire to know everything is so powerful that she's going to do what she can do to get it. So sometimes kids will go to different parents or they'll find different ways to ask the question in different ways. Talking about the process and the pattern is key, not getting caught up in the content. So say a kid is asking the same question over and over and over again. And then a parent might say, well, what do you think the answer is? And then the child will say, well, the answer is it's going to take an hour to get to the beach. And then the parent says, that's right. You did know the answer, didn't you? Well, now you've just done it again. Now they've just found another way to get you pulled into that desire for certainty. So they're saying like, okay, phew. So I did know the answer and mom did confirm that the answer was correct. So I've got the information. And all of this, it's slippery. It's tricky. But you really want to pay attention to it. Again, if you have a kid who's asking questions and wants to know things because you're doing a new thing, you've never been on a plane before, you're going to this place, of course they're going to ask questions and of course you're going to give them the information. It's the repetitiveness of it that begins to really look like, okay, so we've got this anxious pattern going on. That was my next thing I wanted you to talk about is that we'll have listeners who might have a worry tendency who may want to say, oh my gosh, my child has a compulsive pattern. Because <laughs> yeah. they, you know, and yeah. so with, there's a big range of normal here. It was perfectly appropriate for you guys fly down to Orlando. You've checked into a hotel to go on a Harry Potter ride to find out that the ride is broken that day. And for the kids to be pretty mentally hijacked by that fact. Correct. And to want certainty and to want as much in information as we could get, right? And I wish I could have given them more information. And had I had more information, I would have given it to them. If on the news they said, and the ride will be open by 5 a.m. tomorrow morning, I wouldn't have withheld that information. So, and developmentally, we know too, like if you've got a toddler, if you've got a three, four, five-year-old, two-year-old, they ask questions all the time. That's how they're figuring out how the world works. So, the asking of questions curiosity, being inquisitive about things. Even little kids will ask the same question over and over again because they're just practicing that concept of asking a question and getting an answer. All of that is well within the realm of normal. When you're doing something new, when you need information, when something is kind of going a little off the rails like the Harry Potter ride, all of that is normal. What we're looking at is the repetitive and consistency of a pattern that you as a parent say, God, he does this all the time. Or, geez, I mean, no matter what we're doing, he's just asking these questions over and over and over again. Or he asks the most mundane questions over and over again, and it feels different. It really does feel different. It's sort of one of those things that parents will say, like they know it when they see it. But the seeking reassurance 
if it's worry-driven and if it's anxiety-driven, feels different, right? So for the families who don't yet have a pattern that they recognize is occurring enough such that there is an issue. For the majority of the families listening, they might say, okay, well, what's a preventative approach when those moments come up? What's the family mantra to start talking about it? I know you've used that phrase rolling in the mites and maybes before, which is great. And I just feel like there's a lot there to play with. Yeah. The message you want to convey is that we plan, right? We try and get information. We plan. It's not like we're living in chaos, but life is uncertain. And there are times when we just can't know everything. So even being able to say to your kids, so say we take the example of going to the beach. How long does it take to get to the beach? Well, if the traffic isn't too bad and we leave the house at this time, it'll take about an hour. Right now, do sometimes we hit a lot of traffic and it takes an hour and a half? Yes. Does somebody have to stop and go to the bathroom? Do we forget something and have to go back? It's really talking to them about the variability of life's experiences. Like when you're traveling, Robin, you know this better than anybody. How do we manage when a flight gets canceled? How do we manage when we are in the security line and we're about to miss a flight? What happens when they lose our luggage? So say, for example, a kid starts saying like, mom, what if we lose our luggage? I heard my friend went on a trip and they didn't get their luggage. Then the response would be what? So two things. One is the mantra that's coming up for me as you say this is, oh, I think we have a mites and maybe challenge here. <laughs> that's right. That's right. If a parent had the awareness of saying it that way, then like everyone's acknowledging here's a moment where we would love certainty that we don't have. And we have to strengthen the muscle that tolerates that not knowing. Yep. And even using the word flexible, right? Well, we'll have to be flexible, won't we? This is a situation that requires flexibility. So I have tales of my own travels where I kind of failed this recently. So last weekend, my son and I went on a cruise, a Disney cruise with my friend and her daughter who's very immunocompromised and has complex medical needs. My son and I fly down to Orlando. It's always about Orlando, isn't it? <laughs> we fly down to Orlando and my son wakes up the next day and he's like, mom, I'm, I'm sick. Oh, And we're sharing a cabin with this oh. friend. And so I just did not have my Flusterclucks cool hat on. I was like, oh my gosh. So I was seeking certainty and I was like, okay, I'm off to CVS. And so I go, I buy everything under the sun. And, and I was like, here's everything. I was freaking out in a sense because what was going to happen with my friend, right? You know, it wasn't about me anymore. It was about something we'd been, we'd booked since the pandemic too. Yeah. It ended up all working out. By the end of the day, my son felt better. And I said to him, and this is, I think, because of what I feel like I've learned from Fluster Clucks. I said to him, you know what? I really had like an anxiety bomb go off today about you getting sick. And he looked at me like, really? Yeah, you think? <laughs> <laughs> so then I said, can you tell me how you knew how anxious I was? And he's like cracking his knuckles, you know, like, yeah, okay. He's like, first of all, how much did you spend at CVS? Oh you my bought gosh. everything, including two different nose sprays, mom. You asked me how I was feeling like every three minutes. And I was, but you know, and I thought like, I know I'm not being chill here because it felt so important. But I was like, you know what? Like, that's the one saving grace of this. I knew I was very anxious about something. I talked to him about it. Then we had like this learning moment of like all those patterns. 
And I was like, yeah, and it all worked out. And this was really hard uncertainty for me to manage today. And look, it all worked out. Yeah, right. So you did that post-game analysis. So imagine if you didn't have that awareness, right? So afterwards, you said to him like, oh, I know I was so anxious. And you let him articulate like what he noticed about you freaking out. So he was able to be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you were an anxious parent who didn't have that awareness, then the result of that day or the conversation of that day wouldn't have been, oh, I was really anxious and I think I went overboard and I was totally freaking out and I own it. It would have been, thank God I was able to go to CVS and get all that stuff because the goal was to make sure that nothing bad happened and I did everything in my power to prevent it. And whew, that was successful. Mm, interesting. So when an anxious parent is doing their anxious thing and they are validating the necessity of it to their children, that's very different than when an anxious parent or any parent is doing their anxious thing and then later on says like, oh, I think I was over the top and here's why. And I felt so much pressure because I didn't want to make our friends sick. So acknowledging when you are spun up, acknowledging it as you being spun up is very different than acknowledging or justifying it or saying, oh, thank goodness I was so anxious because that's what made things go okay, right? I mean, that's the difference. And so when we're talking about seeking reassurance and we're talking about needing to know and we're talking about trying to eliminate all doubt, that's what we want to pay attention to with our kids. What we're modeling is how do we handle uncertainty? How do we handle doubt? And if we get cranked up, we don't want to see the cranking up as the solution to doubt because that's what anxiety does. It sees the solution to doubt as getting cranked up. We'll be right back. You know, sometimes people wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist, but why wait? Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and feel grounded in your personal relationships. So getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home, your car, your office. There's no need to commute to appointments and miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. That's right. And it's secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Remember, Talkspace is affordable and it's in-network with most major insurers. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with your licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're, Amy, more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Okay, we're back. So, Lynn, we actually had a post recently in the Facebook group about this. I'll read this now. I'm a frequent listener of the podcast and curious to know your thoughts on kids who ask a lot of questions. I have two sons, 12 and 10, who both struggle with worry in different ways, but they both seem to have this persistent and quite honestly annoying habit of asking a lot of questions. Most often it's around weekend plans and future plans. But lately, they've taken to asking questions they already know the answers to. For instance, instead of saying, gosh, mom, do you remember that funny time we, it'll be, hey, mom, we went to blank, right? Who did we go with? Didn't we do blank? They'll ask and then they'll ask again the next day the same thing. And it's about something they've recently just discussed or asked about. It's annoying. And I've started responding with, is this something you already know the answer to? which gets them upset and more worried, leading them to, Mom, why don't you answer my question? What is this? Is this another expression of worry? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So this is when I read this question. This is exactly what I'm talking about. And in this question, you'll see there's a little bit more, you know, she's talking about her sons that already have been identified as having worry. This is kind of the OCD compulsion thing that I'm talking about because they're not trying to remember something. Like she said, do you remember that funny time we they're saying, we went to blank, right? Didn't we do blank? They are looking for an answer to a question that they already know the answer to. And it becomes more of a compulsive pattern of needing to get that reassurance from mom. And it's very common when she says, she started saying to them, isn't this something you already know the answer to? The answer, the information is not relevant at this point. The content of what they're asking about is not the point. It's that they're engaging in this pattern in which they need mom to affirm, to reassure, to go through almost this dance that they're doing. And remember, I said that a parent will sense that it's kind of annoying. And that's what this mom says twice. She says, it's a persistent and quite honestly annoying habit. So you can see I answered it briefly on the podcast group. So you can check out my answers too. And what 
we saw from the other parents that were chiming in is that they were seeing this. Some parents do see this in their child that has OCD. And then some parents also said, gosh, I never even considered this as a worry pattern. And I was always trying to figure out how to give the right answer and why they were asking me all of these questions. So it's a tricky pattern. As I said, it can be a little slippery. It's not about getting information at this point. For this boy, this mom is asking about, this is not about getting some new information. It's about scratching some sort of itch that they need to have her answer the question. And when she doesn't answer the question and says, you already know the answer to that, they get angry because it's not about the information. It's about going through this pattern of her giving them reassurance repeatedly. What I would tell this mom and what I did tell this mom is that it really is about talking to them about this pattern, illuminating this pattern for everybody. And then when it comes up, calling out the pattern rather than addressing the content or even the fact that they're asking a question they already know the answer to. Say, this is that pattern that we've talked about and I'm not going to participate. And they will get mad. They will absolutely get mad. But you have to stick with it with love and encouragement. This is a pattern. I'm not going to stick to it. What would be interesting to me, and I don't know that if these kids are getting therapy or they're getting treatment, this would be something that would be a pretty big red flag pattern for a skilled therapist. And if you're going to a therapist and the therapist is, and you're saying, my kid asks all these questions and the therapist says, well, your goal is to make sure they feel safe and they have all the information, then that's somebody who doesn't really know what they're dealing with. And it's important for, as a consumer of good mental health treatment, to recognize that this is a really common pattern that should be identified by a skilled therapist, for sure. Hmm, That's great advice. Speaking of the podcast group, Robin, many people have reached out to us and asked us about the book club and when that was going to happen, because... We started talking about it a while ago, and then it didn't happen. But guess what? It's live. It's available. So if you're interested in hearing discussions between Robin and I going through the chapters of the Anxiety Audit, and then in July, we're having a live group Q&A for anybody who wants to participate, go and check that out. Definitely. And listeners, if you've been looking forward to it, I take ownership of being late with the deadline of getting it live. But I think it's fantastic. I've heard some great feedback from people who have already taken the course and listened to it and really said that it brought on several aha moments of all the stuff that we talk about and all these patterns and how they show up for us. And I would have to say that as a layperson doing this with you for the years that I have now, This framework of thinking about and really understanding all the ways that the anxiety shows up for me in my daily life is truly what's been so life-changing. Well, thank you for saying that. And I like it too. I will also say that there's a bunch of stuff coming up. So I have a masterclass. I've got some training. So you can go on my Facebook page, but also, you know, we send out newsletters too. So that's where all the information about the stuff that we have coming up If you join the Facebook group for Fluster Clucks, you can provide an email and you'll make sure that you get all the information about Lynn's upcoming workshops that are going to happen in the fall, as well as the things that we do together. Yeah, that's right. If you join our book club, How It Works, 
is that we have over three hours of recorded video content broken up by chapter of different anxiety patterns, particularly helpful if there are chapters on patterns that you know you have. And if you haven't read Lynn's book. It is amazing. It's a quick read because it's written in that really humorous and accessible style that you speak. But this is what I want to say. And we say this a lot. If it just took reading this book or hearing the podcast advice one time, and that brought about the change, then no one in our family would have any issues with anxiety. And my job would be super easy. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Like that's not really how this works. How this works is that it takes some repetitive hearing of the information. And then there's that stage where you start applying the information to your own self. And then there's the stage of like, okay, well, now I'm in it. And what do I do? I mean, that's what the process of therapy is like. And so if everyone read the anxiety audit twice a year and followed through with the course twice a year, I really believe just based on my own personal experience, they would have such a different understanding of managing their own patterns. It would be a game changer. And I want that for other people. Yeah. These are patterns. They're understandable. I really try and simplify it. You know, that's the whole thing about the anxiety audit. Simplify, demystify, connect. And if you don't want to read it, there's also the audio version. If you want to hear me talking, if you want to hear me reading it out loud and talking to you, there's that version as well. Yeah. You have to join because on the 27th of July, we're trying to give everyone time to read it and do the course over the summer. We're going to have a live event and we're going to take your questions. So make sure that you sign up soon so that you can participate in that. And if you're traveling on July 27th, don't worry, we will record it and we'll have your questions in advance. Okay. And also there is one more, as we're recording this, there is one more episode of Ted Lasso, one more left. Oh my God. And did you cry? Yeah. Robin texted me and said, did you ugly cry during the last episode of Ted Lasso? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. They've been really potent. I'm curious when I texted you, that's all I asked, but I wondered what scene, was there a particular scene that you found particularly poignant? For me, when Ted confronted his mom, I thought, okay, this show's genius is going on a whole new level. I think probably the scenes with Roy and Jamie, like whenever Jamie is talking about his dad and all of that stuff when he was, so we don't want to do any spoiler alerts, but they're talking so much in this. They're talking so much about male relationships in a way that I don't think really happens very often. I was even saying to my son, are you caught up with Ted Lasso? And he said, oh, I was getting a little bored with it because they, at the beginning of the season, they were losing all the games. And I said, oh my gosh, you have to get back into it. There are so much stuff in terms of relationships and men and it really is good. Did he catch up? Do you know? Well, that was just the other day. Oh, okay. That was like two days ago. Yeah. I would binge it if I were him. Yeah. I'll stay on it. Like, I'm not going to let this go. He's going to watch it over my dead body. He's going to watch it if I have to force it down his throat. He's going to watch it. Yeah, he liked it. He wants me to watch Barry. I'm not caught up on Barry. And he said that Barry is a lot better than Ted Lasso. That's with Bill Hader is a hitman. Yeah. So very, very different type of content for sure. But he says it's great. Okay, I'll check that out. Bill Hader's amazing. So, And then the other show that I am caught up on that is amazing that I want people to watch is Somebody Somewhere with Bridget Everett. Okay, and I think all of these are on the same network, actually. These are all HBO Max shows. Oh, no, no, no. Ted Lasso's on Apple. Apple TV. None of these people are sponsors. We're just telling you what we love. We're just telling you what we like to watch. Somebody Somewhere is really like heartwarming and delightful. I'm looking forward to starting that. Oh, yes. Okay. So I'm going to bug my son about watching Ted Lasso and I'm going to be on your butt 
about watching somebody somewhere. You will love it. It's so good. Happy summer, everybody. Happy summer. If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.